0: Welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. My guest today is filmmaker John Cortizo. A few years ago, John had the career he had dreamed of since he was very young, working in production on Hollywood films and top TV shows. But although his professional life was thriving, His personal life was another story. The grind of working 14 to 15 hour days left John feeling isolated and even close to contemplating suicide. In this episode, John talks about how community and using his gifts to serve in his local church helped him launch a new business and find a new purpose as a filmmaker. Today we'll be talking about the influences that helped reshape his view of ambition, competition, and calling to build a thriving business that's making a kingdom impact. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Counterculture Christian Business Conference in New York City. For more information, visit counterculturenyc.com. And now, let's meet John. Hi, John. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you're here. So, um, many of our listeners will know you already, but for those who don't, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure.
1: So, my name is Jonathan Cortizo, and I'm a filmmaker. And my background is in television and studio films. And the last year, I've left that world to start a production company with my wife, Erin, and we make. Branded content, documentaries for companies, and mini documentaries for um, online publications. And we're exploring and seeing where we can go next.
0: That's so great. Now, you, um, I know you mentioned this, you started this company with your wife, Erin, um, who's also phenomenal. Um, but you had a, a, a pretty exciting, what a lot of people would say is a very exciting career before you made that shift. Tell us a little bit more about what it is that you were doing uh, before you started your company.
1: Sure. So when I was in film school, I was lucky to meet someone who was working in the studio system mm-hmm. um, in feature films. So when I was 19, I was brought on to a Bruce Willis movie called Surrogates in Boston, mm-hmm. back when Boston had you know, 12 features a year, 13 features a year yeah. because of their tax break. So throughout college, I would spend my summers working on these, these big movies. And I was really fortunate to learn quite a bit from people who'd been doing it on a really large scale. Mm -hmm. So I got to work on um, surrogates in a really bad Brendan Fraser movie called uh, Furry Vengeance, (laughs) where he plays a real estate developer and he builds a mall in the forest and the animals attack him. They wage war on him. (laughs) Uh, Did that win an Oscar that year? No. (laughs) at, At the time when it came out, it was in contention for the lowest um rotten tomatoes rating so wow, <laughs> it was wow. but kids i don't know kids liked it yeah. uh but um there was that there was what else i did amazing race for a few seasons mm-hmm. um and then after college ended i worked on the good wife for three years yeah in the camera department um and then from then i bounced around other tv shows until this year um and i, I haven't been working in tv since
0: yeah. Yeah. So that was actually, I know that you mentioned that something that you felt like you got some, some good breaks and some good connections, but that was really something that you aspired to from the time you were very young, right?
1: Yeah. So when I was, uh, I think at three or something, my dad gave me this little 110 millimeter still camera mm-hmm. and it just it became my favorite toy. hmm Um, So from that age through fifth grade, uh, still photography was my favorite hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my dad gave me his old VHS camcorder um, in fifth grade, and it lasted two weeks, and it broke. And um, I asked him for a replacement for Christmas, and he said, it's too expensive, you're going to have to save up for it. So from fifth grade through the end of sixth grade, I saved my mowing the lawn money and that my lunch money mm-hmm. I would I would r- roll up the money from lunch and keep it under uh, a beam under my bed oh. and I would I would offer to take my friend's trash to the trash can and I would eat their <laughs> their <laughs> scraps on the way to the trash can mm-hmm. so that's how I made enough money to buy um, my first video camera and yeah. then from then it just it was always my favorite hobby
0: now you actually had a second hobby when you were growing up I don't know if we can call it a hobby but it oh, was sure. definitely something you were passionate about and envisioned a future with Tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah so at the same time I was I was really into stand-up comedy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, my parents were really nice in that the only the only place for me to, to get training and to practice it at the age of 14 or 15 yeah. Um, was this kids' comedy troupe at Gotham Comedy Club on, tw- I think, 23rd and 8th Avenue or something, or 7th Avenue, um, in the city. So I would I would do stand-up at talent shows and things, which are only once a year. Yeah. But in between, I would write, and then I would come down and do these workshops and these shows at Gotham Comedy Club. And they would so they would drive, you know, four hours just so I could do five or six minutes. Wow. So um, I had really... Uh, supportive and enthusiastic parents and that process of being really really bad and not funny and having no clue <laughs> how to succeed and right. then getting to a place a few years later where I could comfortably make an audience laugh for 6-7 minutes. Yeah. That was the first taste I got to what it to what what the process is like for getting good at something where yeah. there's no you know answer at the back of the textbook. Yeah. You just have to keep doing it and f- and fail publicly and it's painful and you don't know where it's going to end but the reward is you can say you're really, you know, you, you have a skill at something. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, very, very challenging, but I learned a lot of lessons from that.
0: Yeah. And you were also a golfer during this time, right? You were a very busy kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: golf was like, that was like my personal kind of Vietnam cause I was really into it and worked hard at it, but I was always terrible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's always, that that's always been kind of a hobby. I, I was cut from the golf team in high school. Um, I studied every golf book out there, but I just, I don't have the talent, the the natural talent that a lot of good players have. Yeah. Um, But I learned a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of metaphor. There are many metaphors about life to be found in golf.
0: I love that, um, you know, we were talking about your story a little bit earlier. And um, one part of your story is that you really developed, um, there was somebody famous that you really aspired to be. um, And that... um, kind of took a left turn, but that led you to someone who eventually did another celebrity who did inform quite a bit of your work. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So being that golf was was my favorite sport in high school, my favorite athlete was Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone my who came out of my generation who played golf back then, he was the pinnacle of all athletes. Yeah. Um, and I lo- I learned a lot of a lot of good lessons from, from studying him. I studied him quite a bit, you know, any interview he gave any, any book he wrote, you know, I, I got my hands on. Um, and you do, di- I did learn a lot of good things about hard work. Um, I think the danger, I think the danger in idolizing anyone mm-hmm. is it's, it's, it's easy to make career your God, Yeah. you know? And I think especially the way he was presented um by advertisers and through golf commentary he was his way of going through life of making career the be all and end all of life and if you're not absolutely perfect and dominant in what you do you're you're second place which is nothing yeah. that that presentation of life um i i definitely bought into yeah um and i tried to apply that mindset of you know putting your career ahead of anything else yeah. in life. Uh, I I applied that to the things I was passionate about mm-hmm. um particularly you know things like like, like stand up or filmmaking. Um and that can get you it, it can move you forward fairly quickly mm-hmm. if you if you put in the hours but you burn out. Yeah. Um and you end up being without friends. Yeah. Um so I tried that that way of going through life for you know my my teen years and I would say the first couple of years of my of my twenties um but you you just end up competing with other people and you just you, you end up being angry mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. um so around two thousand ten, which was when John Wooden died, mm-hmm. my uncle gave me a book about John Wooden mm-hmm. called. Um, how to Be Like Coach Wooden, which was written by John Wooden and his pastor. Mm. And John Wooden coached the UCLA men's uh, basketball team mm-hmm. in the 19— f- I think he's coached them for well over 20 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was he was mainly 60s, early 70s. During that period, he won 10 championships, and he won at 1.88 games mm. in a row. And he coached Bill Walton and— you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all these other great legends. Um, But he did it in a way that was, that was God first. Yeah. And I found that very shocking coming from this mindset of career first. Yeah. You know, he didn't believe that you necessarily needed to put other, uh, you needed to compete with other people. He believed that it's okay to be competitive, but the competition is with yourself. Yeah. You don't have to—somebody else doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. Yeah. And I found that shocking because I'd never heard that before, especially someone who is considered the greatest coach of the 20th century. Right. Um, so I looked pretty deeply into what he taught, and everything he taught came from the Bible. Yeah. Um, which was something I hadn't ever thought of, applying those lessons to life. Um, he, he grew up on a farm in Indiana, and his dad would read the Bible to him and his mm-hmm. brothers, you know, every night. Mm-hmm. And eventually he took on this understanding of the Bible that people said was equivalent to that of a pastor. Mm. So his whole teaching philosophy was founded on biblical principles. Yeah. You know, simple things like being honest, doing what you say, um, loving others, doing, focusing on the little things, doing them right don't yeah. let it not letting yesterday impact today too much yeah you know not letting things you can't control impact the things you can control yeah and all of these little adages um these little axioms um they added up quite a bit and i just i felt better about the way i was going through life having you know applied those very simple philosophies to the way i work yeah um
0: and isn't it true, if I remember your story right, isn't it true that your uncle actually gave you that book right around the time that Tiger Woods was experiencing a lot of difficulties and just sort of walking through, yeah. this is the person I've looked up to, and now, you know, oh, maybe yeah. this is kind of falling apart. Um, it was during that time that the un- your uncle gave you that book, right? It's
1: very timely. Yeah, it was, he gave it to me, I think he gave it to me in 2009, mm. which is when the fire hydrant thing happened, yeah. and that was... Uh, the last year wooden was alive. Yeah. And in, in the the cover he wrote my my uncle wrote, you know, here's a, a gift about and this man who who knew quite a bit about basketball god and family and um he's worth taking a look at. Yeah. And it is the only time I'd ever read a book in my life that someone gave me that mm-hmm. I actually read. Yeah. Um and uh it, it completely changed my perspective. Yeah. Um because it took it took these 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 biblical lessons that at the time I found really boring, to be honest. Yeah. But it was presented f- by a person who is a little older than me, but he's, he's less than 100 years older than me. Right. If you think about how old the Bible is. Yeah. Um, it was explained to me in plain English, and I could see the fruits of, of applying those lessons. Yeah. Um, and it was really astonishing. So from then on, I mean, it wasn't an overnight, you know, I wasn't following God, and then I was following God. It took, it took many years, but that was a big seed that was planted in me, and it just grew over yeah. time.
0: Yeah, I love that. So, um, so you have this. You're young. You've saved up for your um, for your camera. You've got this. Um, you've got this aspiration. Um, you mm-hmm. go through this process with um, discovering this book, discovering a new way to do it. You weren't really, if I remember right, at that point, like you said, you weren't following God. You weren't all in with the church or any of that. It was just sort of something that you were starting to explore even though you already believed in God, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I grew up, um, I was born a Methodist mm-hmm. and then grew up a Lutheran. Mm. And until I was 15, I was a very, my, my family were pretty average, yeah. pretty uh, avid churchgoers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was a, there, we had a change of pastoral leadership in my church when I was about 15, mm. and most of our community left, including uh, my family. mm mm-hmm um so we we just we fell out of church we thought we did we kind of lost our church home and i stopped going and uh once i got to college i spent uh a lot of time with people who don't like christians Mm. and just through osmosis took on um a lot of uh points of views that i i didn't really subscribe to when i was a kid yeah um and it was at a point where there, you know, I think the church as a whole was going through a transition about, as to how it approached. I know it's a hot-button topic um, in the church, you know, uh, uh, just how do you, how do you handle the subject of, of being gay? Mm-hmm. And the stories I saw in the newspapers tended to be the stories of people who was being hurt and offended. Mm-hmm. And I associated the actions of a few, I think, confused church leaders with God and mm-hmm. who he is mm-hmm. and— I, I didn't think to make that differentiation of, you know, the people who are following God are always going to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't you, you can't measure God and His potential against the actions of of just regular people, right? Because we're always going to fall short right. and hurt people by mistake. Um, I didn't I didn't know how to make that differentiation. So if I read something in the paper that made, you know, that was, it was done by a church leader that that you know, might have made the church look bad. I just associated that with God. Mm. Um, so little by little, I kind of started to distance myself.
0: So that was your time in college. And then after college, um, you got these jobs and eventually achieved what you wanted to achieve. And you had this career that a lot of people would aspire to. But even though you had achieved everything you wanted, something started to shift, right? Yeah,
1: I think it was just the loneliness was adding up. You know, I went from being competitive with others in college which leaves you with far fewer friends than you can, than you could if you weren't competitive with others yeah. and then i you know got on to the good wife which you know taught me a lot of great things and and i met a lot of great friends who i still have today but the lifestyle of the studio business is brutal and and on monday morning you're up at 5 4:45 in the morning you get to work by 6 6:30 mm-hmm. uh you're you're shooting at 7 or rehearsing at 7 at least and then you're you're done around maybe 9 9:30 you get home around 10 mm-hmm. so from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed you're at work unless you're on a Soderbergh movie or, yeah. or a Woody Allen movie but f- most of that business is 12 to 14 hours a day yeah. um so i didn't have a life outside of my job yeah. and and that environment, if you've been in it, tends to be very, very militaristic, yeah. um, very insensitive at times, very brutal. Mm. And it, it can make you very jaded and robotic. Um, and I saw that happening to me, you know, at the, I sounded like a grouchy old man at 22. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: and y- you know, at a certain point after a couple of years of doing that, you just get up in the morning and you just don't want to live life anymore. You don't, you just don't want to, yeah. you don't want to do it mm-hmm. and you don't see any hope of life getting better. You you start to assume that all of life is miserable and depressing. And, um, when I got to that point, it was around 2014. Um, I, I was pretty, I was, I was, I was getting close to suicidal. I hadn't made any mm-hmm. hard plans, but I yeah. thought, if I got hit by a bus it would be better than going to work today yeah so it was getting to that point Um, I was fortunate to have my sister um, visit New York from Los Angeles around that time and you know she kind of spoke with me and looked at how I was living my life and present presented options Mm -hmm. um, for change that I had forgotten about Mm. Um, so that that gave me hope and then at the end of season my third season on The Good Wife which was season five I left
0: Mm-hmm.
1: to start my own production company, and I, I failed
0: <laughs> in every <laughs>
1: capacity. I, I bought a bunch of gear, which cost money, and then I wasn't making any money. Mm. Um, so I lost money there. And then I got mono, so I was bedridden mm-hmm. for a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and by the end of that period, I, I had I had nothing in my bank account, so I lost my apartment, moved back in with my grandfather, yeah. and, and went back to TV because I, I needed the money. Um, but it, that was around the time I started... Um, contributing to the video team mm-hmm. um, at church, at, at church. Mm-hmm. I, I had started seeing my my wife at the end of 2013, mm-hmm. um, and in the process of volunteering my time, I started to develop a much sharper skill set for filmmaking. Um, you can you can get a pretty good sense of what you're doing being a crew member, but you really do have to 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 make stuff to get better at it. Yeah, you, you can't just be around watching it and the beauty of Liberty was I was making video content for people who were happy to receive my best effort. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect and I, and I made mistakes and I learned a lot of things along the way, but they were happy to have a volunteer there who had some idea of what they were doing, contributing video yeah. content to a church that didn't really have much. Yeah. Um, so the, there was benefit, even though at the time I was like, why am I spending all this free time making this stuff yeah. for no money? But there was, a, there, was a huge, there was a massive blessing at the end of it, which is at the end of a couple of years, I became good enough to do that professionally. And I knew how to make a living mm. at that point, um, making videos, not just being a crew member on a TV show. Yeah. Um, and that's how I got to where I am now. It was, I, I always considered my time at Liberty as being like my graduate school years. yeah, Because that's where I, I learned how to do where, or what I'm doing now.
0: And one of the things i loved when we were we were talking as 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 we were filming is that um when you work on a show any show when the show is done the show airs there's not really any real value to it but the videos that you were doing through serving in the church um, those were videos that were causing people to maybe come to Christ or to um, hear a testimony and expand their faith or that they were actually testimonies that the gifting that you'd been given, the passion you had been given, there was actually meaning to it as opposed to just a 12 to 14 hour a day grind. Is uh, Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, It's so when you're working on a Hollywood show,
0: mm-hmm.
1: unless you're working on something really special, which is rare, you're there, you're there for money. Yeah. You're there to make money for yourself, and you're there to make money for the sponsors yeah. who are sponsoring the show. Yeah. Ultimately, TV exists to sell Tide and cars.
0: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. It's a little different with, with the video stuff at Liberty mm-hmm. um, because you're making content that is about— I don't even like to use the word content. I mean, you're telling stories about people who've been through a lot of stuff yeah. and have come out at the other end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're dealing with people who, who were thinking of killing themselves, and they found church and community. And while they might not be perfect now, they're in an infinitely better place spiritually, mentally, than, than they were when they started. And yeah. that's a big deal. Yeah. Um. And I had been through personally the same thing. Yeah. Um. Giving people hope.
0: And just knowing that whatever work you do, it isn't all on you. Like, God takes whatever we do and multiplies it just like loaves and fishes um, to speak to people far more than we could ever think about when we were actually putting the work together, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's something about about just trusting that if you serve, g- good things are going to happen to yeah. yourself and to the, into people around you. Um, and that was the first opportunity I had where I could, I could really take something I was passionate about and volunteer it and, and donate it, uh, use it, use it as a means to serve, um, and trust that good things were happening. Yeah. Um, and it, it was the way, to be honest, it was the way God answered my prayers. Every day I was, on, I was mm-hmm. at The Good Wife, I was like, what do I have to do to get to a job That would let me just make things yeah as opposed to i was a camera assistant as opposed to just clapping a slate and um what do i have to do to be around people who don't hate their lives yeah and i knew that those jobs were out there but i had no idea how to get there yeah um and my the the time i spent you know volunteering at the at the video team here was was god's way of answering those prayers It, it wasn't overnight and it couldn't be overnight yeah but by showing up and having faith that the time spent here would, would lead to better things. Three years later, I had the skill set and the and the network to launch a production company that that I'm, I'm working from mainly now.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important um, uh, point and it actually has come up quite a bit in these podcasts how someone was sort of on one path as you were and it was actually serving in the church by giving generously of their time that God began to reveal this sort of greater purpose to their gifting. And... Um I think that's so important because it can be so easy to say I don't have time to serve in church, or I, you know, I just want to sit back and I want to, you know, just kind of show up late and leave early. And I did that for many years, so no judgment if anybody's in that place. But actually serving in the church, very often, is part of the the purpose and the calling that God has for you. That's where it's revealed. Um, and so I love that part of your story, and and I know that you encourage others to do that as well.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a battle too. I, I know what you're saying. You know, it is easy to overdo it sometimes i've overdone it before yeah to a point where you, you don't want to you know operate on two three hours sleep because you got a video to finish right every week right that, that's unhealthy for anyone right um but yeah, i i can't i can't recommend enough volunteering your time and helping other people out with mm-hmm. the thing you want to do is your full-time job and i, I tell other camera assistant and friends of mine who um If they're not, if they're not Christian, and I, I tell them, take, take your gift and your, and your talents, and, and help other people with it. Find a nonprofit that's out there helping people. Yeah. And, and and volunteer. People are happy to take you. Um, but I think it's that element of faith that is needed to take that step, Mm -hmm. because without that, 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 sense of faith, that that giving back, that in giving back, good things will happen. Without mm-hmm. that, you're not going to be inclined to, to to do that.
0: Yeah, and just being grateful, because sometimes serving can get, you know, sometimes you'd rather sleep in on a Sunday morning than oh, come yeah. in, but um, to trust that God um, brings all things together for the good of those who love him, and and nothing that we do is ever wasted in the kingdom. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's so great. So, so tell me, um, I love that you've had this sort of such a a fantastic um, arc to your career um, in such as such an early age um, and I think some people go you know 20 30 40 years in their career and never sort of find that shift and so um, it's so exciting to hear how how that happened for you what would you say is your definition of success today on the other side of all that
1: mm, my definition of success is I think it's I think it's doing the best you can mm-hmm um, and, yeah, that's all it is. It's just doing the best you can. Yeah. And as long as your your perspective is right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you have your eyes on the right things, that's all you can ask of yourself. Yeah. Um, You don't really have control over all of the results mm-hmm. in life, whether you're an entrepreneur or an athlete or a comedian. You don't mm-hmm. have control over how other people respond to your work. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have control over your perspective and the things you value and how you go about doing them and, yeah. and how much effort you put in. Um, if you've done the best you could to to, to achieve good results, mm-hmm. then you've succeeded. And yeah. then everything that happens after that is, is out of your hands.
0: Yeah, yeah. That continual drive for excellence, whether somebody's watching or not, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um. So... I am always amazed at how fast this time just flies by, and today is no exception. But we always like to wrap up our podcast with what we call the final five, um, five questions designed to give our listeners some more resources that they can um, that they can uh, find and and continue to be inspired. So the first one is: What is other than the Bible? What is one book that changed your life, and why?
1: It was How to Be Like Coach Wooden by by John Wooden and his pastor. Yeah. yeah. that was that was the book
0: yeah that's great and usually we talk about podcasts and you told me earlier i'm not a podcast guy which is great (laughs) but you do have a tv show you're watching now tell us about that
1: um right now i'm watching last chance university Mm -hmm. um and it's about a a college that takes in athletes who are division one capable but don't have the academics um and it gives kids who have great talent a second chance Mm -hmm. um and I like it quite a bit because i was a I was a pretty bad student until I took a tour of emerson mm-hmm. and uh i I started studying when I took that tour, but it was late. it was the end of my junior year, yeah. so I didn't get in first, yeah um but I had a second chance. I went to a different school and then reapplied, got waitlisted, and then got into film school yeah so i I know what that's like uh, to to really want something, but you're not the best academic student or you struggle with it or some, or the light bulb turns on really late in life. Um, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of second chances.
0: Yeah, nothing wrong with late bloomers. No, nothing, <laughs> not at all. Um, so tell us your favorite Bible verse and why.
1: Um, I can't remember what it is exactly. It's in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the general gist of it is two is better than one and three is better than two. Yeah. Um, teams are tend to be stronger than individuals yeah. and it's a it's a difficult pill to swallow if you're used to doing things by yourself for the glory for mm-hmm. your own glory yeah um, for me that was filmmaking without a doubt I, yeah. I, I didn't like to let other people um, in and mm-hmm. it's a really counterproductive and hurtful way to go through things yeah. so learning to maximize your team, learning to build other people up, learning to yeah, use your time on a project to help others reach their potential, yeah. that that will always achieve better results than, than y- you going into something for for just your own sake.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I do want to just mention that I will include links to the book and the show that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, what's the best business advice that you ever heard?
1: Uh, love others. Yeah, That's it. You don't other. Uh, you don't have to make others lose in order for you to win. You don't yeah. have to put other people down, and yeah. it's and it's very easy to forget.
0: Yeah, that's so great. And then finally, what advice would you give to somebody who really needs some inspiration right now?
1: Um, I'd say, you know, connect with friends. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done in New York, but yeah, find find friends. I find that when, when I become uh, uninspired or just kind of slog through life. It's because I, I'm not connected with community. I'm not, yeah. I'm not in a positive community. Um, yeah. And hanging out with other people who have similar interests as you um, can can make a whole world of difference.
0: Yeah, it's so great. So. Where can uh, where can our listeners find you online?
1: So they can find uh, my work at thecortizos.com and it's a shared portfolio between uh, my wife and I.
0: Great. John, thank you so much for joining the episode today. Thanks
1: a lot. Appreciate it.
0: I'd like to thank my guest, John Cortizo, for joining me today. For more information about John, including show notes from today's episode and where to find John online, visit donsadler.com/slash John. That's J-O-N. This has been the Your Purposes Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. To hear more conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Counterculture Christian Business Conference in New York City. For more information, visit counterculturenyc.com. Have thoughts or questions about today's episode? Join the conversation by following me on Instagram at Don Sadler.